You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Uh, The title this morning is Building an Everlasting Faith. Building an Everlasting Faith, and we're shifting gears into 2 Peter. Our main text will be 2 Peter 1 through 11. Um, We're moving forward in Peter now. We finally finished 1 Peter. We've got about seven or eight lessons, depending on how things go in, in 2 Peter and First Peter was about being strong as we suffer, developing a theology of suffering, uh, even proclaiming hope and, and truth in the midst of those trials, in the midst of the suffering and the, the strain that we go through in life. We covered God's grace and salvation. We covered God's grace and submission, and we closed out with God's grace in suffering. Now as we get into Second Peter, we, we see the theme shift a little bit, and, and we have a theme of spiritual knowledge something to truly build our foundation of faith on. In this, we see the explanation, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the examination as we talk about false teachers, and then there's an exhortation to be a genuine Christian. It's in this with knowledge, uh, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of God's word that we can live in obedience. My guess is today, when you came, you came because you want to build upon your spiritual life. Uh, You want more than just showing up for something or a religious duty. Um, And that's admirable, but it takes more than just a desire to to build our spiritual walk, our spiritual life. Uh, It's critical that we follow the directions that he gives us, that we build upon those truths. And it's only then that we can be strong, that we can be effective in our faith, building an everlasting faith. It it truly comes from us being faithful in that walk. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a midweek Bible study thing. It is an everyday occurrence, something that we engage in consistently and continually. We need to be faithful. Before we get into it, though, let's pause and let's pray. Father, we thank you. Once again, for the freedom we have to be in this space, to be here together as the body of Christ. We thank you for bringing us together to worship. And we have opportunity to fellowship, to pray with and for each other. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, this morning, just as I was reflecting, I, I personally thank you for brothers and sisters in the Lord that remind me that I don't walk through life alone either. Lord, that that as we're together, we honor you, we glorify you, we walk with you as you walk with us, and Father, we need you, we depend on you. So Lord, this morning we're asking that you speak to us, that you help us to understand your word and the direction for our lives within that, and that through our knowledge of you, that we would become strong, that we would become, uh, that we would be faithful to you and to your word. So, Lord, speak to us this morning, and let us be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of you, some of you, I think it's probably more in first service, I know who uh, my stepdad, Doyle, is. You know, my mom and, and Doyle have been attending the church here for probably four years. And uh, Doyle's a construction guy. Um, he, he's always, yes, he's my stepdad, but, but he's always been more of a father figure to me than my dad was. Um, and he comes from a family of builders. Uh, they were all involved in construction in, in some point, in some way, in some form. And, and so he found his niche in interior trim and custom cabinetry, woodworking. And uh, at the age of 14, I was exposed to the construction world. And uh, I made a whopping minimum wage. Everybody's fighting about minimum wage now. $3.65 an hour. <laughs> Anybody else? I think we're going to tell how old you are. Right, minimum wage of 365. But 
and that I'd also look at child labor laws, but I mean, that's for a different subject. Um, but I learned quickly that if I would do piecework instead of hourly, if I hustled, I could double or triple what I was making because piecework was a much better way to go. And so I made good money as a teenager, and it was always nice as a teenager. You know, you don't have to ask for money, you had your own. Think about that, teenagers in the room. <clears throat> Get your own money. Um, you're welcome, Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> I won't look at anybody. All right. So even though we're working on the interior of a house, even though we were working on the finished end of construction, I was exposed to the whole process. And I don't know if you've seen that or you've had that experience or not. And you see them mark the lot and they've got their stakes and they survey and then they come in and they dig and they drill caissons that go down to the bedrock and they pour concrete, they pour you know, concrete down the caissons, they pour the foundation, they pour the basement floor. There's a lot of preparation before they even start putting in the floor and the walls. And as I lay out the walls, you get to see, well, this is where the kitchen's going to be, and the bedroom, and the closet, and the bathroom, the garage. You can see it all come together, and then the roof coming on, and, and they dry it in. And, and so there's a lot of things that I got to see, and I learned early how to envision uh, what the end was going to be. It really was beneficial, even working on the interior of the house, to know what that structure was put together like, so then we could do our job uh, efficiently. And I had one of my uncles, he was, his eye was so trained, he could tell you from across the room, he'd look at a wall and he goes, ah, that door is hung out of plumb or out of level three-eighths of an inch. And I'd always argue back because I was a teenager. And uh, I'm like, no, 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 it's level. I put the level on it, it's fine. And sure enough, I'd get over there and put the level on it and it would be out three-eighths of an inch. So there's something as we get older, as we learn how to apply the knowledge that we have that we all do and I've gotten better at that I've I, I've become somewhat of a visionary and and I you know I can see a project completed okay we want to do this thing all right I can understand how it's going to get there what it's going to look like in the end I also have a better understanding of the cost of projects and I'm glad I'm not in construction right now um, but I'm also on, I have a better understanding of what happens in that process if, if the processes are not completed correctly, if they're not done well, right? If the caissons don't go to the bedrock, what happens to that house? If the foundation is poured incorrectly, what happens to that house? It, it shifts. Um, the foundation is not built well. It affects the rest of the structure. We have a great example in our world, and most of us know about it. We've heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? It's not famous because of its Roman architecture, it's, which is kind of cool. It's not famous because of its height, and it's 179 feet tall. It's famous because it's leaning, such the name of Leaning Tower of Pisa. One day it will fall. The experts said that it should have fallen in 2007, but it didn't. And they've been saying it's going to fall ever since it was built in 1173. It leans at the rate of 1 20th of an inch every year and it is currently 17 feet out of plumb. That's not just a little lean. And we'll come back to why it hasn't fallen at the end of the message. The simple no-brainer question for us this morning is this. What do you want your life to resemble? A freaky tourist attraction that leans and eventually is going to fall over? Or do you want it to resemble something that is solid? something that is straight, that it's plumb, something that is permanent, something that is helpful. And that's what's in Peter's mind in the second letter that he's penned. It's, it's all about growth, taking what he is teaching and applying it to daily life. Wherein First Peter was concerned with outside attacks and oppression and persecution, Second Peter is concerned about attacks from within, deception and false teaching. The beginning of this chapter is about knowledge. It's about spiritual growth for each of us. So let's read our text, First Peter or Second Peter. I've been saying First Peter for so long. Second Peter one one through eleven. Simon Peter, a bondservant of the Apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have re received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us a precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence to your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So question for you this morning is this. Are you growing up? Or are you just growing old? Probably a good question to ask ourselves ever so often. Because we are all growing older, but, but as we grow, are we growing up? Are we maturing? Are we becoming stronger? Or are we just getting older? Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. We all know that when a baby is born, they begin to grow. We expect that. We anticipate that. And because they're kids, we willingly put up with the noise and we put up with the messes of babyhood. Because the goal is for that child to mature into an adult. That's a responsible, an adult that's responsible, an adult that participates in, in making the world a better place. That's the goal, right? For the mature to mature and to contribute in our society. We celebrate their birthdays with enthusiasm, which, by the way, make sure you tell Kiersey happy birthday. It's tomorrow. I'm supposed to give that a shameless plug, and I forgot. When I remodeled um, my wife, Pam, when I remodeled her mom's kitchen, um, you know, we new cabinets, new tile, paint, everything. She wanted me to preserve the door jam that walks into the kitchen because on that door jam were these little lines with the name, with Pam's name, her brother's names, and little marks, right? Anybody have those? Right, we go up that line, and then my kids were added to that, and uh, my nephews were added to that, and and that's something she wanted to preserve. So we've got this whole new beautiful kitchen in this ugly white door jam with all these marks on it, but there was some value in it because she could track and see. Well, this is how the kids grew. This is this is what um, happened each year. It showed the progress of their growth. The Christian life is the same. Christian life begins at birth when, when we are born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't stop there, though. It continues with growth. It, it continues with development, and it blossoms with maturity. So we don't just stay a baby Christian. That's what we see in our passage today. And there's four things we're going to look at in this passage, and there's kind of two main principles for spiritual growth that we're going to see as well. Principle number one is your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your age. Spurgeon said, many men are 70 years old, and nevertheless little children in grace. 
On the other hand, there are a few at 20 who are solid, as solid and profound and spiritual as veterans of 80. You see, physical age and spiritual maturity aren't necessarily equal. You can be an older person, but yet an infant in Christ. I know somebody from ministry past that's like this. It's a, a man who's in his 70s, and he's still in that same space in his faith when he gave his life to the Lord as a, Christian, as a child. He hasn't grown. He hasn't matured. The second principle is that you can grow spiritually as much as you want to. The secret is using what God has provided for your growth. It's as much time as you put into it as how much you're going to grow spiritually. If all you're doing is hanging out on a Sunday morning for an hour, hour and a half, that's it, then how's your growth rate going to be? But if you're in the Word every day and you're engaging every day in your faith, well, what's going to happen with your maturity then as well? You're going to grow. You're going to mature quicker. Keeping with the building theme, once you've received this precious faith, and that's in, in verses 1 and 2, you need instruction and the resources to grow your faith, and that's in verses 3 through 11. And today we look at your faith as a structure of forever faith that is being built, a blueprint of building an everlasting faith. So the first thing is that we need the right investor, somebody who is, uh, has the ability to give you the needed resources to grow. With our faith, we have the best investor ever. That's God, the author and creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything we know, everything we experience is because of him. He has unlimited resources. He gives us the gift of salvation. He has power and he has promises. So in verses 3 and 4, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and God, Godliness, through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory for excellent and excellence. For by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Divine power. That, that's the power that created the universe. That's the power that sustains the universe. It sustains the natural forces within our world. That same divine power sustains you. The very molecules of oxygen that you breathed in this morning when you woke up, he created. He also created the lungs in which you took that oxygen into. He created you. Divine power that heals the sick, divine power that raises the dead. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said all authority was given to him on heaven and earth. All authority or power has been given to him. He in turn makes that accessible to us. Because of this, you and I indeed can grow as much as we want to grow because we have access to God's power through Jesus Christ. But we have to engage. We have to invest time. Can you guys imagine having a battery that never runs out? Right? That'd be pretty cool. We have a 2003 um, Explorer. It's in our old car. We've had it for a long time. Um, it's a backup. It's been paid off for years. It actually has a, a totaled title because of the hail. There's so much hail damage they wouldn't pay to fix it, so they just gave us a check for it. It has 160,000 miles. Um, the kids use it when they're in a jam. Some people in this church have used it. Um, I use it when we have a car that's in the shop, but I forget sometimes to start it. <laughs> it's just kind of sitting there. I forget to run it and just to drive it once in a while, keep the battery charged up. You ever go out to your car and you get that great sound when you get in? Click, 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 click. If you even get that, right? I would love to have that never-ending battery in that vehicle. Imagine, though, having a power source that never runs out. 
God himself. God himself invested in your spiritual growth. That's where we truly can quote what Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's where that applies. We can do all things through Christ. He gives us the strength and ability. The word strengthen means that he puts his power into me. So that's the, the first, is to find the correct investor. In that, God expects you then to do the work. He's going to empower you to do so, to do the work, so you can live your faith and to do it well. Second part of having the right investor is the promises. Our personal investor has made some promises. In verse 4, by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You know, I was thinking about as as Doyle and I would do construction projects, as we would walk in and we'd be installing the doors and the shelving and the cabinets and the handrails and whatever else there was in there that, that was woodwork. Well, we were doing that, but there had to be an investor somewhere that was writing a check, right? The checks are a promise of payment, really. You, you can't do anything with just the check. You have to cash it. Um, how many of you still write a check? Anybody? So a few. I had to write one the other day. I'm so used to Zelle. That's so easy. Push little buttons, put the amount. How to write a check. When a check is written, it has the person's name on it or company name on it. It doesn't do any good until it's cashed or until it's deposited into the bank. The money in the bank is the true power. The, the written check is the promise. God holds both the promise and the power. You and I can make a promise, but if we have nothing to back it up, well, then it's worthless. You know, this morning after service, you know, I could, I could write Jeremy a check for a million dollars. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Until, he got, <laughs> until he got to the bank. Until he got to the bank and tried to cash it or try to deposit it, they'd probably laugh at him and say, you're funny, nice try. This account is short, $999,550. No chance in cashing that check. Sorry, Jeremy. I won't write you that check. I could make you the promise of a million dollars, but I don't have the power to back it up. See, on the other hand, God promised that we can escape from the old life. We can go to a whole, in a whole new direction. That's a promise. That's a check that he's given you that you have to cash. You have to actually take that promise and apply it to your life. He's given it to you, and what are you doing with it? Are you responding? And we all struggle from time to time with this. And as mature Christians, we should be able to say, I believe in all of God's promises. A mature Christian treats God's promises differently. If we're fearful or if we're panicked continually as a Christian, well, do we really believe in God's promises? And we have those moments of unbelief where we tend to forget what God has promised us. And there's times where I have had to check myself, and you heard some of that in last week's message, and where I have to say, God, I believe. Forgive my unbelief. Help me stay focused on you. Help me remember what your promises are and, and that they apply today as much as ever. You, Father, have written a check that I can cash. I can take your promises to the bank. There's power in his promises. We have to press into them and believe. So if we're going to build anything of eternal value, we need to have the right investor, one that has unbridled power, one who gives us precious and magnificent promises. And why are they so valuable? Why are they so magnificent? Well, that really comes to our perspective again because they come from our great God. He wants us to be partakers of his promises. What is your perspective? What is your perception of who God is? It's personal, and he loves you. As a born-again believer, you have made a lifestyle choice. You are connected with God for life. You're connected with God for eternity. 
That means that you and I can face our future. We can face each day with confidence, saying that no matter what comes our way, God and his power will be there. His promises will be there to meet us at our point of need. In every hardship, in every potential problem, every step of our journey through life, God is right there. We have to remember he is in control. He has a plan and a purpose, and he's walking with you in it. And there's times where we have great joy and laughter and peace. And there's times where we have sorrow and we struggle and we have fear. But he's still walking right there with us. Amen? Then we have to follow the building code. That's the next point. That's what's next for us. If, if you're going to build an everlasting faith, you have to pay attention to the building codes. That was probably my least favorite part of working in construction. The building codes and the permits and all the other stuff. But there's a purpose behind us paying attention to what God is laying out for us. God outlined it for us starting in verse 5, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. Now for this very reason, also apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in godliness, brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness love this is our part this is our responsibility god's given the power he's given the promises but we are responsible for engaging we don't just to get to sit on the sideline and say okay you gave me all that stuff good to go no we've got to engage some of you might see this as contradictory. We understand God gives us everything he, we need, but then he says, for this reason also, now add to that. Well, how can you add anything to everything? <laughs> Easy. If we want to grow in our faith, it means that we've got to cooperate with what God is doing. As God speaks to you, you're responsible for what it is you hear, what he's telling you. You're responsible for that. Not him. He has spoke the truth. Now it's up to you to respond accordingly. You and I are involved in the whole operation, the whole faith-building process. If you or I would have written this, we might have said something like this. God has given you everything you need to grow and be godly. Therefore, just let go and let God. Just veg out in the spirit. Take it easy. Just watch the whole thing. It'll be all right. But the idea is that we've got to engage in our faith. If we're not engaging in our faith, if we're not going through life stuff with our eyes fixed on God, then our faith doesn't grow. It doesn't mature. It's a big cup of nope. We've got to apply all diligence. It literally means that we have to make every possible effort or, or intensely exert ourselves. And we have to not misunderstand this. This is not talking about salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Salvation is a gift, verses 1 and 2. You received salvation as a gift. You simply had to accept that gift. That's what you had to do. But sanctification, that changing of us, that maturing of us, it, it takes teamwork. You don't just sit back and watch it happen. You have to be involved in the process. And our spiritual growth is never an accident. It's always intentional. We've talked about it for the last few weeks even. Don't allow that suffering, don't allow those struggles that you're going through to be wasted. Grow in them. Learn what is it that God is saying in and through those times where you struggle. The Apostle Paul had the same thought in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. So when we hear that verse, sometimes it's a struggle. How does that strike you? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound very pleasant. I've got to work it out. And what's the fear and trembling piece? He continues, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. See, as we work out our salvation, what does salvation look like? What does my faith in God look like? 
As we look to him and see that he's truly working in us, he gives us the power, he makes the promise. But you and I still have to walk through it. We've talked about that tension. We know God is real. We know God is in control. We know that he has this whole thing in his hand. But we still have to walk through it. There's where that rub comes. There's where that friction is. God is in control. He's going to take care of it. But I still have to work it out. I still have to walk through it. Look at it this way. A composer sits down and writes out a, a musical score. In doing so, he provides everything that's needed. He's writing the melody. He's writing the, the notes. He's writing down the timing, he, the cadence of it, if it picks up or slows down. He gives everything that is needed for the production of that piece, but it still takes a musician to work it out, to play the score, to give what is written down a voice, so to speak. Or another analogy would be this. Let's say you go to the doctor. The doctor says, okay, I've examined you. Um, the diagnosis, well, it doesn't look very good. You need surgery. I'll perform the surgery. Afterwards, I'm going to give you some medication post-op and uh, that'll help you with healing. I'm going to give you some instructions, some physical therapy. So the doctor's done it all. He's diagnosed it. He performed the surgery, gives you the medication and instructions. You don't help in any of that process at all. You don't help the, the doctor with surgery saying, well, i tell you what, doc, let me help you out. I'll work on this side. You work on that side. Hand me the scalpel. How, how well would that work? You're not doing that. that. That would be foolish. He provides, though, everything else you need. You still have to do the post-op work. You've got to do the physical therapy. You've got to take the medication. You've got to follow his instructions for that surgery to heal and be successful, right? That's following the building code. It requires cooperation. It requires supplementation. Notice that it says applying all diligence or making a maximum effort in your faith supply. And then he lists seven supplements. To me, when I think about things that go on the side, we got meat and potatoes. My favorite meal, right? You got pasta and you got a good sauce with it, right? You got bacon with a side of eggs. You got a breakfast burrito smothered in green chili. Those things just go together. The main portion of the dish and something added to that to make it complete. If we're to think about it in the building terms, a, a building analogy in, in the building code, it's God saying, here are seven things I, I want you to add to this house that you're building. Things that are going to make your house complete. <clears throat> For example, let's say I, you're going to put a new sink in your kitchen, you're remodeling, right? Don't just put one of those stainless steel ones. Let's, let's get a marble sink, the, the farm style sink, one of those nice ones. And you're going to cook some food in that kitchen. Uh, don't just put a hot plate in there. Well, let's get a Viking stove, something really nice, high quality. And don't put a Formica countertop in there. Let's get some granite. That's what we want. We want this thing to last. We, we want to do it well so it lasts into the future. So far, God has given us the power. He makes the promises. But then we add the perks. We add the sides. He'll give you everything that you need to pull that off. And what are the supplements? Well, first is virtue. It means moral excellence. Add to your faith a moral excellence. One way to look at excellence is something that fulfills the purpose for which it is made. When you do that, you've added something special, some excellence to your faith. And he says, add to that knowledge. And this is a different word for knowledge than we typically see in the New Testament. This word means an expert knowledge, a full knowledge, an ultimate knowledge, a growing, personal, authentic knowledge, a knowledge that is practical, not just something you know, but something that you can use and engage in. Then he adds to that self-control. How many of you love that word, self-control? We're all on board for that one, right? We all have ultimate self-control. No? No. We added that self-control 
add to knowledge, self-control. You know, sometimes there's a huge gap between what we know, our knowledge, and what we do, our actions, <laughs> right? That's where self-control comes in. That person that cuts you off on 6th Avenue again on the to the hospital. Self-control. Because <laughs> what are you going to do? We have to bridge that gap with self-control. Add to what you know about God and know God with self-control. It's a word that the Greek uh, used to say literally hold one's self together. Hold it together, man. <laughs> Don't lose control. It spoke of an athlete who would say no eating of certain kinds of foods uh, while they're training because they want to win the race, saying yes to certain kinds of training because they want to gain their strength and their stamina. It's staying focused on the main thing. That's what self-control does. And then next we have perseverance. It means to bear up under trial or hardship, uh, the difficult circumstance. It, it would be somebody saying, hang in there. It's when I say, hold steady, persevere, keep walking. That's perseverance. And add to that godliness. Literally, it means God-likeness. It's a word that speaks of being right with God. Therefore, you're right with people as well. You see, we get this right first with God so we can take care of this with each other, Right? If you're struggling in relationship stuff, that's why anytime you come in, you do any type of Bible counseling with me. First thing I'm going to ask you is how your relationship with God is. Because if that's not taken care of first and in order first, how are we going to fix anything else? How are we going to work on anything else? You and God first, take care of that. Godliness. Add to that brotherly kindness. You know the word. It's Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And add to that love, which is higher than brotherly love. Higher than Philadelphia. Agape love is the love of the cross. It's a sacrificial love. So those are the seven supplements that, that you and I are to add to the meal. The, the seven perks that we add to the building that he's giving us. Uh, the power and the promises to pull off, to, to build. In this list of um, supplements... It's not something where we can just pick one or two. Well, I like that one, and I like that one, but I'm going to leave the self-control one over there because that one I don't like. You can't just pick one. See, one will lead to the other. That's why the verses are laid out the way they are. If you have faith, that will produce a life of virtue. If you have a moral, excellent life, it will lead to knowing God better. And when you know God better, you're going to become more self-controlled. And when you're more self-controlled, you'll be able to persevere under the load and pressure of life better. And when you do that, well, you become more godly. And that leads to you being able to genuinely care for people and have a sacrificial love. You see, they're all tied together. They work in tandem. That's growth. One leads to the other. So the right investor, follow the building code. The third prerequisite in building everlasting faith is that we build with growth in mind. If you came this morning thinking that, well, I'm just going to go, I'm going to hear a nice little speech, and we'll have a little music, and then I'm going to go home. Sorry. And there's a little more to it than that. There's actually a challenge here. You, you can't just be a sideline Christian. Remember last week we talked about the fact that we need to be in the race. We can't just pick and choose what we want to do in our walk with the Lord. Well, I like this, but not that. That's what's happening in a lot of churches across the, our country. right? They pick and choose what verses they want in the Bible or what pronouns they do or don't want to use in the Bible. That's not the way it works. We need to be all in. We need to engage. You can't just pick and choose what you want in your walk with the Lord. That's the wrong perspective. The idea here is that when you build your life and you add and you exert, that you're always building with the future growth in mind. It's never plateauing. I've told you guys that before. If I ever get up here and say, well, guys, I've learned it all. <laughs> Good to go. There's a door right there at the top of those stairs. You just send me right out that way. Because we've got to always be a learner. 
We've got to always be ready to grow, to engage. Never, ever stop. Always be a learner. Verses 8 through 10 of 2 Peter 1. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing or abound, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain that uh, about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That word increasing, or the New King James says abound, that, that word abound means I have so much that it overflows and it keeps overflowing. That's the idea. As long as I'm here on planet Earth, I should always be wanting to expand in knowledge. That should be all of our goals, to learn and grow and understand. Why do we have the Bible? So we can know who God is, so we can learn who he is and get closer to him. So when we build with growth in mind, we do something that is very productive. It says that you will never be useless. It means that you're never going to be idle or unproductive. Literally something that has stopped working. If you build with growth in mind, You'll never be the kind of person who says, well, you know, I tried that Jesus thing, but it just doesn't work for me. You'll never be able to say that because the truth is, well, it's not that it didn't work. It's that you didn't do the work. And I've heard that more than once as I'm sharing my faith, as I'm sharing the gospel. Someone says, yeah, I tried that Jesus thing. No, I don't think you did. Yeah, I read the whole Bible. No, you didn't. I don't think so. See, we've got to keep adding. We've got to keep growing. If we're doing that, if we're adding and growing and we're learning, we're never going to be useless. We're never going to be unfruitful is the next word. Fruit, one of those things the New Testament speaks about often. Jesus spoke about bearing fruit. It's an analogy of, of an ever-expanding life that blesses other people. That's what fruit is. You're growing in your faith and it's blessing others. There's a series of scriptures, Matthew 13, 8 and 9. Uh, others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, a hundredfold, sixty, some thirty. Mark 4, 8, other seeds fell on the good soil and they grew up and increased. They yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And then in John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. That's fruit. Jesus spoke about people who, who hear those words, they, they take it to heart, and they produce fruit. That's a 30, 60, and 100-fold. He told the disciples, and Peter was there when he said it, he said, here's the secret to getting fruit. Abide in me. Hey, guys, you want to know how to have fruit in your life? Stay close to me. I'm walking with you. Stay close. That's what God is telling you. You want fruit? Abide in me. Stay close to me. Learn and grow. Remain in me. It's just like the branch of the vine receiving nourishment from the vine. It gives nourishment to the fruit. And then other people are then refreshed as well. That's what fruit does. It refreshes other people. So the idea that the life of Christ is flowing into you and flowing out from you to other people. It's not something we just hold on to. Basically, there's three kinds of faith. The first kind of faith we can call faulty faith or fake faith. It's people who say, well, I believe. I believe in God. I'm a believer. You know what James says about that in James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Every demon believes in hell. They believe in Christ. They believe in God. So you're not in great company if you're saying, well, I'm generally a believer in God. He's out there somewhere. That's not good company to be in. So does the devil. That's faulty faith. And then there's a second kind of faith. And maybe some of you fit this category. And I would say most likely all of you do. It's a firm faith. It's a genuine faith. It's a saving faith. This is where you're built on the firm foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right? Everything that he did on the cross, that's that firm faith. You have been justified by faith, just as if I'd never sinned. 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. You're saved. That's a firm faith. That's a, that's a good faith. But then there's a third faith. Let's call that a flowing faith. It's so firm that, that it receives the benefit of the life of Christ through abiding, and it's so good and, and productive that, that others get the benefit of the fruit. Joseph in the Old Testament, um, it said in Genesis 49:22, Joseph is a, a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by spring, and well, its branches run over the wall, right? When that fruit begins to grow and that, that plant begins to grow and produce even more fruit and those branches keep growing, that's the picture we're getting, is that it's overflowing and fruit is expanding. That's the picture of a fruitful life. So what faith do you have? Is it a, a faulty faith, a firm faith, or that third category of a flowing faith? It's firm, but it's flowing. Remember Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 38, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is, a thir is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the picture we have. Don't come to church for a time of worship, for a time in the word, just to, to drink it in and hold it. It becomes stagnant. You know what happens when water just kind of sits there and gets stagnant? It stinks. <laughs> Don't do that. Drink it in. Drink it in so you can let it gush out to everybody else around you. Make sure that that water that you're bringing in blesses others, that brings refreshment to others. When we hear God's word, it's not about us just holding on to it. It's about us sharing it with somebody else to bring them some hope, to bring them some refreshing, to bring them some encouragement. It's not just for us to hold on to. That's flowing faith. That's productive faith. And we look at verses 9 and 10. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain that his calling and choosing for you, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Have you ever paid attention to kids when they're kind of watching a scary show or a movie, right? They're squinting, their eyes kind of closing, or they're kind of peeking, or they got their hands up here. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Maybe you don't like scary movies either. I get that way. Pam likes watching those shows where they do the surgeries and stuff. Mm -mm. No, I don't want, no. Nobody sees, needs to see that. We squint our eyes. We cover our eyes. Peter's saying here, we should have our eyes wide open. Why do we keep our eyes open? So we don't stumble. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention to your surroundings. Be someone who is ever growing and ever learning and ever expanding, adding to, never contending with stopping. Someone who can see and remember, okay, this is where I came from. Now this is where I'm going. Right? Again, that's why the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield, right? It's okay to see where you've been, but don't focus on that. Pay attention to where you're going. Maybe you've forgotten that you're engaged to Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am, a, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Have you forgotten about the repentance part and the turning part that you have gone through? We turn from those sins. We walk away from those sins. We don't engage in them. You see, a growing believer is going to be a steady believer. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have times of struggle again, but our faith should strengthen. It should be a steady faith. Again, I believe. Forgive my unbelief. If we were to look at our walk with the Lord and we were put it on a graph chart, right? What do we see? Like we have valleys and we have high points and everything in between. The idea is that that we don't just get stuck in one spot, that we're always moving up. Yeah, we're going to have some down spots, but that's okay. Grow in it, learn in it, mature in it, and keep walking and watch him take you to the next level. That's a forever faith. Last week, we talked about keeping our eyes on the horizon. Again, it's a reminder as we're learning and growing and walking with the Lord that we don't get caught up with the, the things that are going on around us. 
right? Maybe it's personally, maybe it's, it's me as I walk through stuff with Pam. I can just focus and fixate on that or we expand it out. What is our state doing? What is our country doing? What is the world doing? Don't get caught up in those things. Stay focused on your relationship with God. Pay attention to where he's leading you. Pay attention to the opportunities that he's putting in front of you. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff. This is temporary. Remember we talked about it at the beginning of 1 Peter. We're just sojourners. We're just passing through this place. Heaven's the goal. Eternity in heaven is the goal. And that's our last point. As we learn, as we grow, as we mature, we have to always plan for the move. When I think about plan for the move, and I didn't think about this in first service, but Nancy and Keon, when they just they just moved to Lubbock, and uh, like, oh, you guys need boxes? Like, no, all the boxes we had from our move here are in the crawl space. They were planning for an eventual move. They knew someday they were going to move. As we grow and mature, so no one understand that there's going to come a day where we're not going to be here. We're going to be in heaven for eternity. So plan accordingly. All that you're building for now is for the next place that you're going to be. And that's verse 11 of our text. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That's where you're going. Build now with that move, uh, I'm moving soon mindset. God is preparing you now for all he has prepared for you here while you're on this earth, but then even beyond that. He's preparing you for what is next, an abundant and an abundant entrance. The entrance will be abundantly supplied. The Greeks use that term, abundant entrance, to describe an Olympic athlete who won the Olympics and came back home, and he would be greeted with an abundant entrance, they called it. The town would show up, there'd be songs, there'd be everybody screaming and yelling, raving banners, cheering, welcoming. There's a story about a man who decided to sail across the Atlantic Ocean, and a lot of people have tried to sail, and they've done that. But what makes this remarkable is that it was the smallest boat ever to go across the Atlantic Ocean. It was only 13 feet long. His boat was called Tinkerbell. It took 87 days. His rudder broke several times. He was washed overboard several times. In the shipping lanes, it was so bad, he said he could not sleep. He'd have to stay awake for several days because it was too dangerous. He took the rope, and he bound himself to the, to the boat so he'd stay in it. 78 days later, he could see the shores of England, and the only thing on his mind was that, I need a hotel room, I need a shower, and I need to sleep for a week. But as he got closer to the shore, well, there were 300 other boats that came to welcome him. And then he got even closer. There was a crowd of 40,000 people there cheering him on for making his journey successful. And it was at that moment that he didn't think about how tired he was. He didn't think about how discouraged he was. He didn't think about the shower. He thought, wow, okay, I did this. This feels good. I accomplished it. You see, when you and I stand in heaven and that crown goes on our head, you're not going to regret the hours that you spent in Bible study or the prayer time that you had or how often you shared your faith or helped another person grow or, or disciple them or, or working hard to build somebody else up. You're not going to worry about in that. that then there's not going to be any regrets about how much time you spent serving the Lord. You're to build a plan for the move, for an abundant entrance to heaven. If you know Christ and you've been born again, if you've received faith and you're going to get to heaven one day, you're going to be there. But do you know, have you ever thought about this, that, that some people will get a more glorious entrance than others? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, each man's work will become evident. For the day uh, will show it because it's revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which has been, he has built on, it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So the question for you and I is this, how are we going to arrive? Will we be there? Will there be an abundant entrance? Will the angels and saints say, yes, it's our joy to have you here. 
Or will there be somebody there blowing a kazoo, kind of going, wow. I didn't know if you'd make it. I'm glad you're here. You know, Peter and I, we were taking bets. Now you're going to get there because you believe in Christ, which is sufficient. But what's the entrance going to be like? As well as the stay, the rewards that are garnered. The gains of heaven will, be, will, will more than compensate you for those losses on earth. So can we keep heavenly minded? Can we stay focused? Now we come back to the leading tower of Pisa. We talked about how it was going to fall. It didn't fall in 2007. They knew it was going to fall into the restaurant that it's facing. I didn't know until I started reading this article that there was a restaurant there. I don't think I would eat lunch there. So what they say, what they did is they moved it back up. They, they shored it up. They straightened it a little bit back to its position in 1838. They stabilized it. Now the experts say it's going to fall in the year 2300. So we have some time. You could eat at the restaurant safely. However, what they want you to know regardless is that eventually it is going to fall. I wonder if the builders who built it should have researched what the name Pisa means in its origin. The word Pisa, leaning tower of Pisa, the town of Pisa, it, it means marshy ground. So yeah, if you build on marshy ground, the tower is going to fall. So you need to build on a solid foundation. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. So make sure that your life is built on the right foundation that you're building an everlasting faith. Make sure that you do the work. Engage in your walk with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Peter's simple and clear words. We thank you that the words of this fisherman, he understood what was important and he gives it to us straight. He makes it easy for us to grasp. Lord, I pray that that everyone hearing this would have a firm foundation underneath them. The kind of faith that they're relying on would be a faith that is given as a gift, that it, it can't be added to in the terms of salvation. But, but once it's received, Lord, I pray that, that you would convince all of us that we need to build, that we need to add on to, that we need to exert, that we need to work to constantly be a learner. And in that, that we're planning for the move. We're planning for eternity in heaven. I thank you for that hope. Father, I pray that if there's someone that doesn't know you today, that you would begin to stir within them, that your Holy Spirit would draw them. Father, everybody in this room falls into one of three spaces. One, their foundation is strong, it's fortified, it's, it's built on solid rock. Praise God for that. Lord, would you continue to strengthen them in that and would you help them to show others how to do that very same thing? That second space. Maybe your foundation's got a few cracks in it. Maybe you need shored up, some rebuilding. Father, would you minister to each of those people Help them to take the necessary steps to, to get that foundation built and, and re, um, just rebuilt and firmed up, Father. And that third space, or those here that, that don't know you personally, they've never made that personal commitment, a simple commitment and, of trust, or to, to simply repent and believe as your word says. Father, draw their hearts to you. If that's you in this room or you listening online and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, you can take care of that right now. And there's a, a little prayer you can quote after me. It's really, it's about a conversation between your heart and God's heart. But if that's you this morning and you'd say, Scott, I need that relationship. I need to begin to build that foundation. Then pray something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I pray that you would forgive me. I turn from my past. I know where I've come from and I turn to you now in the present because I'm, I'm thinking about the future, what you have for me and I want to be with you for eternity. 
I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again from the dead. I commit my life to you because you have given your life for me. And everything I need to, to build this life, you've given me access to. So help me. Help me to live for you and to learn and grow and build. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room, I'd love to chat with you after service. If you prayed online, just shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org, and I'll get back to you. been alive and powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.